Well, we are back at it again, and this morning we are in Revelation chapter 16. And um, this morning I want to just talk to you briefly. I'm going to ask you all a question, and, and some of y'all are going to get excited about this, maybe, not all of us. Um, and, and feel free, we're all family here, so you can feel free to acknowledge this. This is a sort of a personal question. How many of you in here would claim to be preppers? Anybody? Anybody a prepper in here? There we go. We got one. She's not afraid. She lift that hand halfway up. I'm a prepper. Now, when I say prepper, when I say prepper, there, there is a difference. Okay, There's a difference in preppers, right? There are preppers who have winter coats in the in the back of your car in case the car breaks down right i'm just speaking truth right there right i'm speaking to us too we've got winter coats one day i asked i was like where is my coat and it was stuffed in the back i stuffed it there in the back of the car because the idea is if the car breaks down you need something warm right now me i'm like that's not gonna happen and then what happens just a few days ago all those cars Stranded out on the interstate, people sleeping in their cars, and I bet you that half of them wish they had been preppers, right? Folks, I'm not talking about that kind of prepper. I'm not even talking about the kind of prepper that we find in Kentucky. That when you hear that there is going to be a snow flurry, not a snowstorm, but a snow flurry, like flakes coming, it's still 70 degrees. But somehow snow's falling, right? And you go to Kroger, and there's no bread. There's no milk. And I've got a question about that. Your electric's going to go out. What good is the milk when it's warm? Make, sit it outside. It's still 70 degrees. I just don't get the, if you really want to be a prepper, take my advice. Go get you a propane-powered stove and some cans of soup. Now that's going to save you. Curdled milk, blue cheese is not going to save you, folks. It's not going to save you. And, and bread's not going to save you, all right? Get you, some, get you some nice cans of soup, that real good stuff. Coffee, bake, yes. That will save you. And you know what? Corn on the cob, absolutely. You can melt snow, boil that thing, right? And you know what? To the coffee and the bacon, here's the thing, is that even if you die from the elements, when they find your body, they will know that you died happy because you had bacon and coffee next to you, right? I'm not even talking about those kind of preppers. I'm talking about the ones who really do wear the tinfoil hats, okay? I'm talking about the preppers who they have a secret compartment in their home. Now, I, I'm not joking at this point. There are secret compartments in their homes that are hidden that in case of Armageddon, they've got a spot that they can go to, all right? There's racks of food and stuff like that. Now, there are a lot of people that think those types of preppers are crazy. But when it happens, 
Everybody's thinking those are the smartest people. It's all the crazy people that look smart when everything's falling down, right? It's like, we thought they were crazy, but they were geniuses. They had it everything set, right? We need to be prepared. Preparation is important. My guess is, now I'm not in the military, but we have some military folks here. My guess is one of the things that they teach you in the military is what? To be prepared, right? To be prepared for stuff. That we need to be prepared. You never know what's going to happen. I have a buddy of mine, love him dearly. dearly. He loves the Lord. He was in the military and did some stuff. And and he actually has these cans, uh, these trash cans that were that are taped somehow, they're fashioned in a way that has batteries, extra batteries and stuff like that and electronics in these cans that he stores in his house. And they're sealed in the house. And I, I said, why do you have that? And he said, because. He said, you might think I'm nuts, but if somebody really wants to take us out, they're going to do it with an EMP. And an EMP knocks out all the electric, Right. Well, his are protected in that can. I don't know if that's I don't know if it's possible or not, but there are levels of preppers, right? We'll get more into this in a little bit later. But we do need to be prepared, and as Christians, we need to be prepared. Now, this morning we're going to be talking about the seven bowls of wrath. Now, last week we talked about what it was that we were preparing for these seven bowls of wrath or seven bowls of judgment that God is raining down. And we were talking about Christians last week. Well, this week we're talking about this wrath that's going to be poured out on unbelievers, okay? So what I want to do this morning is I just want to kind of walk through the text with you. And, and sometimes when we read this, it's really easy to get bogged down by all the events that are occurring. I do want us to understand what's going to happen, but I want us to understand there is this one statement in this entire chapter. There's this one statement that is made. And it's the voice of Christ. And in fact, if you have a Bible that has red letters, it is very likely that this verse, I believe it's verse 15, is going to be in red letters. And it will be in parentheses. It's sort of, some people will think, well, it's an afterthought. Folks, this is not an afterthought that's going to be said. We're going to share it here in a little bit. But I want you to kind of just zero in on that when we get there. But the first thing I want us to talk about this morning is I want to talk about the first six bowls. So there are seven bowls of wrath. We started out with the seven seals, and remember that only Christ could open the seals. And then the seven seals introduced the seven trumpets, and now the seventh trumpet is releasing or revealing the seven bowls of wrath. Now, folks, these bowls, this is the end. What we have said is that there's no true chronological order in what is happening in the tribulation that things are just kind of happening all at once, and it doesn't mean that the trumpets necessarily chronologically follow the seals and that sort of thing, and all of that is probably true. But when we get to the bowls of God's wrath being poured out by the angels, it is likely that those bowls are coming towards the end of this tribulation. It is likely that we have not yet experienced these bowls yet. It is likely that we have experienced or been experiencing some of the seals and some of the trumpets. We don't acknowledge them, but it's likely that we have. The bowls are likely going to come to the end. The other thing I want to make a point of saying is this, is that these bowls where we have said that a lot of what we're reading is not to be taken necessarily literally, I believe in the majority of the case here with these bowls that these should be taken literally. 
for the most part. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, we thank you, and we love you, and we love you for so many reasons, and one of those reasons is for your word, that you have not led us to be uh, walking around blindly, Lord, without any direction, without any guidance, Father. Uh, you have given us the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, Father, but you've also given us your word uh, to direct our thoughts, our actions, our behavior, and our devotion, Father. And I pray that this morning that our hearts are stirred uh, for Christ and that we would look at these passages as, as just a word uh, that encourages us to be, to, to be prepared and to not be sleeping, not to be lazy, but to be ready. And not ready as the world might consider being ready, but ready in the sense of, are we ready to see Christ? Are we ready to meet Christ? Are we living a life that honors Christ and that obeys Him? Father, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's read through these first few verses here, and I'm just going to kind of stop and kind of talk just a little bit amongst these, and then I'm going to try to explain what's happening here. But most of this is fairly well um, explicit in the text. So let's jump right in verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So these angels are coming out and they are pouring out God's wrath. Now we've already been seeing God's wrath poured out, but there's an element of urgency here and there's, <coughs> and there's an element of extremism, if you will. This is extreme wrath that's being ready to be poured out. So the first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth and the harmful and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And so if you remember, I want you to just kind of recollect, I'm not going to pull it up here, but I want you to recollect this, uh, this idea that um, in Exodus where you have the ten plagues, and I want you to remember some of those plagues that God uh, let occur or caused to happen, I should say, on the Egyptians for not allowing his people to leave. And one of those were boils, were sores, right? Much of what we read in this chapter, these seven bowls, are things that are going to be uh, recollected from the Exodus. And so the first are these painful sores that came upon people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. This is a punishment, it is wrath that is aimed towards those individuals who are not believers. These are individuals who bear the mark of the beast, not those who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now you may be asking, well, what is the main thrust here? What's the main point of this? We'll talk about that here in a second. Why is God pouring out His wrath? We mention it here shortly. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Not a third, not a half, not a quarter, all of it. Everything in the sea is dead. So it becomes blood, and living things cannot survive in blood. All right? The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, 
who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And what I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So the next two bowls that are being poured out on the earth are turning the seas to blood and are turning the springs and the waters, all the rivers to blood. What does this mean? There is nothing to drink. There is nothing for us to drink. There's nothing for us to survive on. There's nothing that we are going to thirst. We have to, we have to thirst for blood instead of fresh, cool water. Okay. Now, there's this interlude here that says, the angel in charge says, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. He's reminding everyone that these judgments are not accidental. They're not accidental. These judgments are being brought about by the Lord, and there is a purpose for them. He is ordaining them, He is directing them, and He is causing them. Sometimes when we talk about bad things that happen, we don't want to relinquish God's sovereignty, but we kind of want to pull away some of God's power by saying this, that God allows certain things to happen. Folks, this is, not a God, this is not God allowing anything to happen. God is causing it to happen. God is causing it to happen. Folks, when tornadoes occur, when hurricanes occur, when earthquakes, like we'll see, occur, it's very easy for us just to say, well, God's still in control. God's in control. But what we usually mean by that is that God's in control. He's keeping us in the palm of His hands, but He's not necessarily in control of that earthquake or that tornado. It just kind of happened, right? Folks, that's not the picture that we have in the Bible. In the Bible, we serve a God that causes things to happen. If I could say it this way, God can cause a tornado to occur. God can cause an earthquake. He can and He does. He does these things. We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. Now, is it true that believers, like unbelievers, perish and are harmed by these things? Yes. Yes. But we live in a broken world, and God, God rains down His judgment on a broken world. And these angels here, these angel, this angel here is saying, you are just in doing so. He is not wrong. There is no place in which God is sinful or evil or unjust in causing these things to happen. And some may say, Lord, why did I deserve this? I don't deserve these painful sores. I don't deserve having unclean water to drink. But the angel says something different. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. This is God's wrath. And God's wrath is not pretty. When we transgress against the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of heaven and earth, do we think that God is just going to let that slide? No, He's not. And His actions are just, and His actions are righteous. Verse 8, The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire, 
They were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give them glory. You see this. Now, when it comes to the sun here, what does this mean that the fourth angel poured out his bowl and was allowed to scorch the people with fire, right? I don't know if this means that there's going to be some sort of environmental cause. I, I don't know, okay? You know, we always hear about global warming and all these things. I don't know if this is the beginning of these things, like we're in the middle of these birth pains of this happening. I don't know exactly what's going on here, but what I will say is this, is that the wrath of God is painful. It is not something we should be looking forward to. Now, we should also mention, is God going to segregate those who are being injured, those who are get bearing his wrath, and those who are not? Is he able or is he, is he able? He is able. Is he going to separate those? It seems to me that in this text that this wrath is poured out specifically on those who are unbelievers. Now that doesn't mean that there are, going, that there are not going to be individuals who are believers who are going to bear some sort of collateral damage, if you will. All right, And you know exactly what I mean here is that we live in a world and we are believers, we trust Christ, we love Christ, but we live in this fallen world and we are panged by, the fall, by, by sin, right? We suffer from illness, we suffer from sickness, we suffer from all these sorts of things that happen to us even though we are believers. We are not separated from that, we have to bear that as well. But there is a difference between how the believer responds to that and the unbeliever, the unbeliever is going to what? Curse God. The unbeliever is going to fail to repent. The believer is going to go look at the Lord and he's going to say, Lord, come what may, but I am still in the palm of your hands. I'm still in the palm of your hands. You are still God. I may not understand what is happening, but I'm not going to panic. Because I believe that you are still in control. True and just are your judgments. They were scorched by fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Even in the midst of this wrath, they failed to repent. Doesn't that remind you of the Egyptians? Is that God rains down through Moses, rains down these plagues, right? I mean, we've got boils, we've got rivers turning to, uh, turning to blood, we've got locusts coming, and here we've got frogs, we're going to see frogs here in a minute. You know, I mean, this is Christie's torment here, okay? All right? You're still going to see them, though. <laughs> so, I mean, these, the, I mean, this is the wrath of God being poured out, and they still did not repent. And they still fail to give them glory. The hardness of their heart is causing them to fail to give glory to God. This is no accident, folks. It's not as if we can say, well, they didn't deserve this. No, they do deserve it because they fail to give God the glory. They fail. Not only that, many of them are responsible for the death, for the shed blood of the saints and of the prophets. And so this is God's judgment being poured out. Now, the first four bowls are being poured out on the earth. 
They're being poured out on the earth. The next three are going to be aimed at the beast and the false prophet. So let's jump down to the fifth bowl. Verse 10. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. Now, we don't know what that means. Does is sun shut off? Probably not. Or does this mean like we were plunged into darkness of like, you know, everything, all of our technology stops working? We, who knows what this means? The point is the kingdom of the beast was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish. And what did they do? And cursed the God of heaven for their pain and the sores. And they did not repent of their deeds. It's almost as if God is saying, I'm going to rain down one bowl after another, one bowl after another. And all you have to do is repent. All you, have you ever met one of them stubborn people? One of those stubborn, and you might say, yeah, I've met them. I, they, I am them. Those stubborn people that no matter how painful it is, no matter how hard it is, you're like, I'm not giving in to this. I'm not giving in. Some of us have kids like that, right? Some of us have kids like We either have them or we've raised them, and they are so stubborn that you're like, I love this one. It's like, if you talk back to me, you're not going to, who knows, you're, you're going to go to your room. Fine, I'll go to my room. Okay, you're going to go to your room, and you're not going to go, let's say, I don't know, you're not going to get to watch TV tomorrow. Fine, I don't want to watch TV. Fine, you don't get to watch it for two days. Fine, that's fine. I don't want to watch it for two days. You ever see that kid? They just keep burying, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right? Fine, I'm not going to do it for three days, four days, five days. And then after a while, the kids are driving us crazy, so we're just like, please, please watch TV. Watch TV and leave me alone, right? It's the babysitter, right? But you get what I'm saying, so stubborn. Here we have these individuals that God's wrath was being poured out, and they are still not going to give God glory. They are still failing to repent of their evil deeds. And then we go to the sixth bowl. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its waters were, its waters, water was dried up, to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. It's kind of interesting that it talks about the Euphrates drying up, right? To allow these kings to come across to Babylon, if you will, right? To, this, to, this, uh, to, to battle the beast in this great battle. Now, I depict this, it's, it's very interesting. I kind of think of the Exodus here. And if you remember in the Exodus, what does God do? God dries up the Red Sea to allow his people to cross to flee the Egyptians and the Red Sea prevents the kings, these evil kingdoms, from pursuing the people of God. Now God is turning that back around, and He says, I'm going to dry up the river to allow these kings to come in and battle the dragon and the beast 
and the false prophet. It's almost like he's turning it on its head at this point, right? And so that's what's going on here is that at some point what it seems that Revelation is depicting is that there is going to be this sort of like worldwide just battle and tension and war. Now this is a lot different than the way we have talked over the last several weeks that we talked more in metaphors and more of, you know, that this is depicting something symbolic here. But this is likely probably a result of kingdoms being plunged into darkness, people uh, fretting and because their drinking water is no longer suitable for them to drink, because health crises are becoming a major thing. Have we ever seen this before? That's exactly what happens in the world when you have individuals, especially unbelievers, who are unrepentant, and who are individuals who panic at these occurrences. What do they do? All heck breaks loose. Health crises, food crises, water crises, and now we have individuals, countries against countries, and all this. This sounds like the end, and it is because they are. And it's almost as if God is just allowing these things to occur or in or cause ordaining these things to occur in which you all are going to destroy yourselves here. And then you see these frogs coming out and it's almost like the speech if you will this demonic blasphemous speech is being poured out of the mouth of the false prophet like unclean spirits they're like frogs if you will for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle the great day of God, the Almighty. Isaiah and the prophets talk about this great day, this great battle that's going to occur. And it occurs, and it's, it's, it's sort of the day of the Lord, if you will, this day of the Lord that is occurring. Verse 15. Now, this verse 15 is in a parenthesis. You see it on the screen here, and you likely see it in your Bibles. And it's this parenthetical statement. Now, it's a parenthetical statement, meaning that it's sort of an aside it's not, it, it, if you remove it, you'll still understand the rest of the passage, but it's not unimportant. In fact, I'm, I say that this verse right here is likely the most important verse in the entire chapter. These are the words of Christ coming, and it says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and being, be seen exposed. Now, I just want you to hold that there. I want you to, if you have a pen, you can underline it, whatever you like. Just think about that. We're going to address that at the, at the end of the sermon, okay? Because I think that's what this entire passage is centering around. Because remember, these passages here, they are not for the unbeliever, okay? You don't say, hey, you know, Christ did not reveal this to John so that he would go around and just share this with a bunch of unbelievers. He was sharing this to believers. And so he's informing them of what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden there's this line here. This is what's getting ready to happen, but I'm coming like a thief. And so you better, be, you better not be sleeping and you better have your clothes on, meaning you better be prepared because it's getting ready to go down. Verse 16, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, or Megiddo. Some of you all have heard that phrase. Now what's interesting is that Megiddo is actually not a hill, but it's actually a flat plain. But you hear about this place a lot in, um, 
in biblical texts and also historical texts. And it is thought to be a place where there is going to be this great battle and this is where they are assembling. Now, what can we say about these first six bowls? First off, the first four bowls are all about God's wrath being poured out on the earth and on the people, on unbelievers, those who have the mark of the beast. The last three, and we've only addressed two of them, are being poured out on the kingdom itself, the kingdom of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. And so God's wrath is being now poured out on them. Now, the whole point is this, is that His wrath is being poured out and people are not repenting of their sins. They are failing to repent, they're failing to give glory to God, and they are receiving their just fruits. All right, They are receiving their punishment, which is just and righteous before the Lord. And then there's this statement here that says, But for those of you who are believers, I'm coming like a thief. Be prepared. Let's go ahead and jump into this seventh bowl. Verse 17, The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? That sounds very familiar. It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. That sounds familiar too. Kind of sounds like when Christ was crucified and the veil was torn and there was a mighty earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones about 100 pounds each fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because the plague was so severe. They're still cursing God. I cannot stand the phrase, it's not fair. It's just not fair. I heard a sportscaster person say, when somebody says it's not fair, he said, fairs are where they judge pigs. And I like that. Because we don't live in a world that's fair. We just don't. Where everyone gets a participation trophy, everyone gets a ribbon. That's not the world we live in. It's just not. But here's the truth. I agree. It's not fair. It's not fair. Because in the end... In the end, none of us deserve the riches and the glory of Christ. None of us deserve that. Not one of us deserve that. So the fact that we get it would typically, I would say, is just not fair because we deserve so much worse. But because of Christ and what He has done for us, we have received that blessing. But anyone who says that as they are being plagued with these sores and this judgment, and they say it's just not fair, you're getting far less than what you actually deserve. And you're getting ready to receive that as well. 
So the seventh angel pours out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. Now, I don't have it right here in front of me. Derek, would you pull up uh, John chapter 19, that verse there, that slide? I believe it's there. Um, There we go. It says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine of hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed and he gave up his spirit. I don't think it's any accident that here in Revelation, at the end of this judgment of the last bowl, they say it is done. And then it says that Babylon, this great city, which is symbolic for these evil kingdoms of the earth, all right, is going to drink the, basically the wine of wrath, if you will. It's a recapitulation of what has happened. Jesus bore the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. The one person who truly did not deserve God's wrath received it on our behalf. He drank the wine of God's wrath. And when it was done, he said, it is finished. And now, in this seventh bowl, God's final throes of judgment are being poured out on the cities and the people who are wicked, all the unbelievers, and they are drinking the wine of God's wrath. And they say, it is done. This is where we come to the end of the judgment of God. Now, here's the end. This is the judgment while people are on the earth. Okay, God judging individuals while they are on the earth. We haven't even got to eternal punishment here. Okay, this is just punishment that is being rained down, trying to convince people of the glory of God, and they fail to repent and they fail to give Him glory. And they are receiving their just fruits because of it. And this is no little thing here. It says, The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of His wrath. Now, I want you to think about this just from a physics standpoint, all right, and a science standpoint, that this earthquake is so big that it says the cities of the nations of everywhere, this is not something that is localized. This is something that is happening worldwide. It says, and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. There is no place to hide, folks. There's no place to hide from the wrath of God. This is monumental. It is supernatural. It is something that only God can design. See, the way that earthquakes happen, all right, these tectonic plates moving and stuff, all right, it's typical for an earthquake to happen in one spot but not in another at the same time. This is happening all at the same time because God is raining His wrath down on the entire earth, not an island will exist. Not a mountain will stand. There is no place to to hide. There's no place to go. Where do we flee? Where do we flee if not into the arms of Christ? Because nowhere else will be sufficient 
to protect you. And they cursed God for the plague of hail. So let's go to our final point this morning. Let's go to our final point about being prepared. I want to jump back up to verse 15 here. It says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen as seen exposed. This is an encouragement, but it's also a warning. It's also a warning. It's Christ saying the wrath of God is coming. You do not know when, because it will be like a thief. So be prepared. Be prepared, Christian. We're getting ready to go into the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. After we're done with Revelation, we're going to walk through Mark. And one of the most common words that you'll see in the gospel of Mark is the word immediately. It's this word immediately. And it, it has the book of Mark is really fast-paced. It's the shortest of the gospels, but it's also the fastest-paced gospel. And it's because there's urgency about it. There's, there is stuff to get done, and, we have, and this stuff happened immediately. It happened immediately. There is no time to wait. And when we talk about Paul, when we read Paul's letters, when he refers to certain things, we talked about this on Wednesday night, that Paul, in his letters, there was always a sense of urgency because he believed that Christ would come at any moment, at any moment. Now, we... The church, as a whole, must be ready. I believe that the church has gotten lazy and lackadaisical. I know I have. Folks, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing that comes to mind is not, Christ could come today. That's not the first thing that walks through my mind. Or, The last thing that goes through my mind as I fall asleep is not, Christ might come before I wake. But He could. He could. We must be ready. And what that means is, we can't be playing church. There are far too many Christians just playing church. What does it mean to play church? It looks real good come to church, the obligated time to come during the week, you say the right things, you do the right things, but we're just playing. We're playing a role. In fact, that's where the word hypocrite comes from. The word hypocrite comes from this concept of a play actor. It was actually an actor, someone who was playing a part. I don't want us to be just playing parts. I want us, and every pastor should want his congregation to be individuals who corporately believe with all of their heart in this blessed hope that Christ is returning and he could return at any moment. He says, I'm coming like a thief. Do not be asleep. That doesn't mean never go to bed. What it means is, be alert. Christ may come. Have your clothes on. You don't want to be caught with your britches down. Okay? 
have your clothes on. I am afraid there are far too many Christians who are just playing church. And they're not really believing what the Lord has here in His Word. There really is going to be a judgment. There really is going to be a time where God is going to separate the sheep from the goats. There really is going to be a time for the harvest. There really is going to be this great tribulation that we are in that's going to just worsen as we come to the conclusion. It's really going to happen. Are we ready for that? Now, how does a Christian prepare as we close? As I was preparing for this message, I looked up some of them preppers. I looked some of them up. And I thought they were kind of funny because there are some of those preppers. Some I looked up celebrity preppers just because I like poking fun at celebrities. And one of them that in order to prepare for this big, this, this big famine that we're going to have, has started raising chickens and goats. I guess in Beverly Hills? I don't know. I would love to drive down Beverly Hills and see chicken and goats in the backyard. I just think that would be hilarious, okay? And then one of the chickens or goats got loose on Rodeo Drive. Is that in Beverly Hills? Did I say it right? I don't know. Is it? Okay, very good. All right. So that's one, you know, prepper. They're getting ready for that. Uh, this one actor, uh, his name's Nathan Fillion. He, if you haven't seen Castle or some of these shows, he's a great actor, okay? But Nathan Fillion, he honestly believes that there's going to be a zombie apocalypse. So he learned how to weld because apparently welding is going to be necessary in the zombie apocalypse. And when I read why, it was so that he could weld his SUV doors shut so the zombies couldn't get in. How do you get out? Okay, and my favorite one is the Walton family, the the family that owns Walmart, right? They have a little bit of money. After 9-11, they built a bunker in Bentonville, Arkansas that would fit their entire family. And they have a 24-7 security guard protecting that bunker. At all times. Now, you probably have multiple security guards, but they have security at that place 24-7. Preparing for Armageddon. Preparing for this this cataclysmic event. And here's what I want to ask. What bunker is going to prevent the wrath of God? You can't dig it deep enough. You can't be, which mountain are you going to, you see all these like disaster movies and people fleeing to the mountains, right? To dig a hole in the mountains, to go in the mountains. Folks, there are no more mountains. There are no more islands. You cannot run from the wrath of God. You can't. Your only hope is Christ. So how do Christians prepare We, prayer, we prepare by praying. We prepare by reading, our, reading the Word. We prepare through worship. We prepare through convening with the corporate body of Christ. And we prepare together. 
Because you're not running from the wrath of God, but you can run to the arms of Christ. You can. And He is our only hope. He is the only salvation that we have. I don't care what bunkers you have, how many chickens and goats you have. I don't care if you are the greatest welder of all time. It will not save you when God's wrath comes. Your only hope is Christ. Now, my prayer is this, is that we in here this morning, our congregation, that we are prepared. I want us to be prepared. But at the same time, I pray that we are helping others be prepared by sharing the gospel so that they will know what is coming. So let us not fail in doing that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we love you. And we do ask you to help us prepare, Father. Help us prepare for what is to come. Help us to be ready. And to give us a sense of urgency for what is to come. We don't know the day and we don't know the hour, but we know that it is arriving. We know that we're in the midst of this tribulation as we speak, Father. We know that it's going to get worse. And I just pray that, that we can follow Christ and that we can lead others to Christ so that they will not have to suffer this wrath that is going to be raining down. Help us to honor you. Help us to give all the glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.